Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. Thursday edition, Trey Wallace from Outkick.com joins us in 20 minutes. Time to talk SEC football. Preview the SEC championship game on Saturday and discuss college coaching news. Armando Salguero today at 3.20 Central. 420 Eastern as we talk all things NFL headlines with OutKick's NFL writer and columnist. Guys, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Notre Dame acting decisively. Notre they, Dame. They knew exactly who they wanted when Brian Kelly left, and they went and elevated Marcus Freeman as their head coach. I think the Notre Dame story and the fact that all of the coaches are staying at Notre Dame and not taking more money to go work with Brian Kelly – Says a lot about Brian Kelly. Says a lot about Marcus Freeman also. They did not give us the domino we wanted where somebody left somewhere creating another opening and more intrigue. This kind of slows everything down or finishes it. I'm, I'm we actually, need Oklahoma and that might be it. I, I, I'm glad that things slow down a bit. I know, I know that it's, it's crazy season for coaching searches and raises and, and guys bolting and, and drama. But uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm happy that another program isn't doesn't have to go in another coaching search abruptly because of what has happened through all this, and it's no one's fault. I've liked it's it. the system, it's the churn. Um, but you know, it's ridiculous money. There's no way Mel Tucker deserves nine and a half no. million dollars a no, year. No, absolutely, well, and that it, sets the stage for for Brian Kelly bolting for LSU. I mean, he deserves it because they're willing to pay it at Michigan State. Because if you have your guy, you've got your guy, and you pay him. Even if you think you have your guy, you still pay him. And that's just the world we're in where uh, over a 24-hour period, there were over $200 million, $225 million handed out in college coaching contracts uh, on two universities. I don't like the money part, but I like the intrigue of who's going where and, and who's going with them and all of that. That's all fair, too. I mean, I, I, I like it. I also dislike it because all it is is a money grab for agents because as a collective media, we just regurgitate whatever. Uh, there's no double sourcing anymore. It's just, oh, let's make a hot list. It's like a mock draft. No one goes back to check these mock drafts. And you can throw out all these names and, and all these different connections because agents are mentioning them. And, co and committees and, and coaching search firms are mentioning them. And everybody gets paid off of it. Everybody and, wins. And they missed on the two big ones, right? Nobody had Lincoln Riley going to USC. No. Nobody had Brian Kelly going to LSU. No. Yeah, it's been a bad cycle for reporting of what's going to happen. And, and i got to find the guy's name. I think it's Mick Essoff uh, is the guy from Notre Dame that broke the story. Uh, Bruce Feldman and The, poor, the him. poor guy didn't get any 
pop off of this. I know there are a lot of people crediting someone else for it, so I went back and made a point to tweet, hey, great job by, by whoever this guy is. That's He lives in Atlanta. Oh, he's no. connected. I don't know if he's connected to some sort of uh, – it's some sort of online company when mm. I saw his bio, but clearly he has Notre Dame connections because he's constantly tweeting out things and reporting on Notre Dame. He had it two hours before anyone else. I went back and looked. He had it three hours uh, before the person that everybody was crediting had it two hours after Which him. It's like days. Yeah. Today's media thing. How does he not get credit? That's I also think same. it's really cool that uh, Bruce Feldman pointed out, hey, story broken by yeah. this right person. And I retweeted and said, hey, if you're a Notre Dame person, you should definitely follow them. But, I mean, he had it all along. And he's had every coach that's been staying before it happens down to the strength coach. So he's very well connected. He posted a text from Tommy Reese, the, uh, the, the offensive coordinator, that said, are you staying or going? And he put back, I'm staying. And he posted a screenshot. Hey, guys, Tommy's not going anywhere. Well, uh, did, the 29-year-old offensive coordinator. So good job by him <laughs> nailing the story. Did you see Tommy Reese's speech to the team, his offensive staff? I've not seen that. Not, I mean, the, the team, not the staff. He stood in front. He goes, I just want you to know there's been a lot of uh, questions about if I was going, if I'm staying. He goes, I'm committed to you guys. I believe that you and us and this program can win a national title. And my heart is here. It's not anywhere else. I'm staying. Shots at Brian Kelly there with the I believe we can win a national title. Well, yeah, the, but he said – so what LSU did is he they took audio from a press conference at him at Notre Dame and yeah. put that out there. And Notre Dame players took that as, oh, that's a shot at us, when really they're just clipping things to make a yeah. pump-up video, a hype video for their own fan base. But going back Not to Tommy fair, Reese. Entirely. Tommy Reese made the right call, um, and, and here's why. Because – Brian Kelly uh, has been given credit, and he deserves credit. The defensive coordinators over the years with him have been the head of the ship at the direction of the defense. Well, now that they've hired Freeman, Tommy Reese can be that version for offense at Notre Dame. He has autonomy on offense, where in the past, Brian Kelly was dictating a lot of what was going on. It's a on. much better job than so, it used to be. Yeah, so I, I think it, it made a ton of sense to stay. He's 29. You've got Marcus Freeman, who's 35. And I think there's a lot of connections that still go back to Sean McVay being hired in the NFL at the age of 33. Youngest coach in the history of the league, head coach. Uh, in some cases, he's younger than the vets on his roster. He may have been 32 or 31, now that I think about it. I think he might have been 31. Freeman's 35, and no one bats an eye at it. Um, and you continue to look around. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma was 33 when he first started as the head coach of the Sooners. Uh, Ryan Day was 38 or 39 at Ohio State. The coaches continue to get younger and younger at programs, and Freeman's the latest example. You've talked about Brian Kelly and how well he's done with his coaching staff over the years not bring, being able to bring either Betty at both of his two big guns, which was the, the rumor early. Yeah, and they, he now has to assemble more from scratch. It'll be interesting to see what he does. He's got a great track record, but he's got to go a little deeper into his pool now. And that, I think the, the first report I saw was he was trying to get one of the assistant coaches on Ohio State staff and could not do it. A guy that goes back with him uh, to Central Michigan. It goes all the way back there. I believe he coached with him at Central Michigan, now is at Ohio State, was this coach. It can't, can't make that happen. By the way, it's Mick Asaf, I think is how you pronounce it, A-S-S-A-F, the last name. 
don't know if that's the right pronunciation. Is that a Richard and Sal email, or is that? No, this is the guy. <laughs> this is him. I, that's I honestly, Hutton, though, I had to look over and over. I said, am I being played here? Is this a his fake friend, name that I'm supposed to say you. out loud? <laughs> yeah. His friend you is he also is, uh, on there, and Jack. Mick is the co-founder of the Yoke Team app. So he is a tech guy in Atlanta, and he broke, he broke the Marcus Freeman news, and he's had tons of Notre Dame news. Wow. How many followers did he have? He had six. He had six thousand yesterday. He's at six thousand six hundred fifty-seven right now. That's so not enough. Give of him game. a big boost. He needs not to. He needs to game. have more followers for sure. Um, I never thought I'd utter these words about an Irish Catholic school in the industrial Midwest, but Notre Dame just got sexy with this hire. Thirty-five-year-old head coach Marcus Freeman, twenty-nine-year-old offensive coordinator. This is a youth movement at at Notre Dame that I didn't think that we would see because. The last thing you say about Brian Kelly is sexy. Uh, his offenses, while they have been productive in the past, not great. But he wins, right? I mean, I'm not knocking Brian Kelly yeah, Brian. with this. And he recruited at a very high level. So he got the job done at Notre Dame. This is now a new era of Notre Dame football. And they're basing it around really, I think, that that twosome of Freeman and Reese, right? Well, I agree. Freeman's the head coach, but... These are guys that that administration yep. that Jack Swarbrick believes in deeply to lead this program. You know, for the next, you can't say anything in long term with college sports anymore. But I mean, you look at those guys' ages and think if they like it here and they do well and we pay them, they could coach here for 15 to 20 years, which you don't say that about a lot of hires in today's game. And it, it makes perfect sense for, for it, there, there's no reason to believe that Notre Dame went and looked elsewhere because Swarbrick from the jump said that they were not going to name an interim coach. I think they just had to make sure they went about this properly behind the scenes, vetted what they needed to vet, and then make this announcement to the team whenever it was possible, which was really, what, two days later. Well, I talked about all the juice that's out there yesterday and these coaching hires and movement and rumors and everything else. If you want to completely cut off the juice altogether, go ahead and hire Brent Venables if you're Oklahoma. Go ahead and elevate another assistant coach, and then things really slow down. And it's what done. is going on at Miami? They're going to be in a bowl game. Well, I mean, talk about is there a chance Manny Diaz is fine? They've got to get an AD. Yeah, but I mean, is is there also a chance that they get so late in the game with the AD, the AD comes in and says, "We're going to roll with Manny Diaz for another year, and see what happens." Possibly. I mean, yeah, it's it's not a late in the game thing, though. I mean. It, even with the recruiting windows, that's, whatever that's, they are, that's also true. It, I mean, a new AD comes in and he says, "Well, screw it." Here's the here's the I, thing. I, now, screw the timeline. In just a couple weeks, maybe even less than that, you've got the early signing. You know, the first signing day. Uh, you're not going to get that either way at Miami. And, so then it doesn't really matter. And you've got the transfer. So portal, if you wanted to make a move everything. in early January and then go for the next signing day then you can do that. And the transfer portal softens the blow of that, right? It can if you're, if you're good adept at, at navigating the transfer portal and getting guys that you want. Um, raise your hand if you thought of Clark Lee last night. I did. I well, did. I mean, I mean uh, if he's there, he's likely the head coach at Notre Dame. If he does not take the Vanderbilt job and he waits one more year. Now, of course, at the time, you don't 20. know because Brian Kelly got an extension in 2020. But... If he's there, he's the guy. Notre Dame, slightly better job than Vanderbilt. Slightly. I think it also tells you the commitment level of, of Clark Lee at Vandy, that he took the gig. Because watching that, watching that Vanderbilt team this year and the uphill climb that they have, 
Guys, I, I'm going back to like the 90s, watching Vanderbilt growing up. This may be an all-time low for for me watching a Vanderbilt and that football team. Is a monumental state. talent talent wise. I mean, it, it was atrocious this year. It was bad all around. Um, but, I, by but the way, I, it, I it, it, it isn't hard not if you're yeah. him not to. It, he's also young. He's like what 37, um, 38. It's it's hard not to look back and think, oh, I could have been the head coach at Notre Dame if he was as loved there as what I heard he was loved at Notre Dame, which I think that he was not just by fans but by the players. And by the school, it is easy to connect the dots and say he would have been the coach in his 30s yeah. to land the job when Brian Kelly left because the administration liked him so much. And if he's good, and he's get there elevated. For who he's, knows how long. I no never doubt. remember my dreams, but I, it's funny you bring that up because I had Dreamt a vivid Lee? dream last night, not about Clark Lee, but of about Barton Simmons. Uh, his general manager oh, who, at Vanderbilt football. Who hasn't dreamed about Barton Simmons? He's a dreamy dream. guy. I mean, the right. guy's got you know the, the hair game that yeah. many would envy. Uh, but I had a dream that we were just riding. I was in the back seat of a car. He was in the passenger seat. And we were on a road trip. And he was in <laughs> Notre Dame gear. And we had a conversation, <laughs> Barton and I did, and Barton's a buddy, about how awkward it was to tell Clark that he was leaving for Notre Dame. <laughs> that Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman offered Barton the same job to be their general manager, and he left his best friend from high school, Clark, who left Notre Dame to go to Vandy, and then Barton took a job with Notre Dame. And, and you we were somehow were in the I was in, in the, the car, car, and I'm like, man, that had to be a tough conversation. And I remember Barton saying something like, yeah, we're probably not going to talk for a little while, <laughs> but was very calm about it, very rational. Anyway, that I never remember my dreams, things. and you brought that up, and it, it was like deja vu remembering the dream from last night about, about Barton going to Notre Dame, which, by the way, again, a dream has not happened. Were there any He's at Vanderbilt. Here's what I want to get to with Clark Lee. Romantic turns in this dream? This is, no. Here's what I want to get to with, uh, with Vanderbilt and, and Clark Lee. Um, is it truly always darkest before the dawn? Because that was as dark as it, it should ever get. It's at, been at dark at Vanderbilt program. forever. No, no, they, they have but been I'm, I'm much saying better combined, than what we saw this year. You combined, um, but even, I'd have to go back and look. I feel like Vandy played someone or a couple people close, uh, you know, that they shouldn't have under Derek Mason. Even the year before, they were winless. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were winless the year before. They're winless in the SEC again this year. Back-to-back winless SEC seasons. Doesn't get much darker than that. But here's, here's, I think, the big question for Clark Lee and something we just don't know. What does his dawn look like? There has been this emphasis on we're going to break it down to the basic level of fundamental. We're going to take the athletes yeah, that are bones, here and we're going to strip them of everything they've been yep. taught and then we're going to start over. Well, what does the build look like under Clark Lee? That's what we don't know. Two SEC wins. But it's not even, I'm not talking wins and losses. I'm talking what are you building? What is your style? What is your plan? If you are, if you are so smart, and I do think Clark Lee's a smart guy, and Derek Mason's so bad at, the pro, at building the program and running it, yeah, you're going to take everything down to how you eat lunch at Vanderbilt and change it. What does that change look like? What are you implementing? You pick up your sandwich left hand first, right hand second. And Paul, you've got to start seeing that next year, right? That, that's where you've got to start seeing. Signs of life. Okay, this is what they're building. I'm not asking for a 500 SEC season. Win a game or two in the conference and start to show, well, be competitive. okay, this is what Clark Lee is yeah. doing. This is what his defense will do. This is what his offense will do. This is what his teams will play like. Best showing was Ole Miss. 
Right. Ole Miss, I know, uh, bet, I, Ole Miss jumped out to that early lead. What was it? 14, 17, nothing. It ended up being a competitive game because Vanderbilt didn't just throw the towel in. In, in South Carolina. You know, I think they were an 18-point underdog yeah. in South Carolina. They should have won the game, and they went to a prevent well, on Mi- the final drive. Ole Miss's offense, you're thinking, this this is about to be a boat race. Right. And it, I mean, Vandy's always going to be defensively sort of a bend-but-don't-break style when they're at their best, and that's when they've been at their best defensively. <clears throat> but I, I'm just curious with – they have a plan, clearly. You don't hire Barton Simmons as the first ever GM of an SEC right. team without a plan. Right. I want to see the players they start bringing in, what those players look like, how they play, and then start to see what he's implementing. Did you guys have a chance when you had the two of them in to ask like how changing how you eat your lunch is influential in this process? You know, it's not. And that's I, what I want. To I know. say that about eating lunch. It, I. I but it, those are the kind e- of that's things. Extreme. No, but those are the kind of things that he's trickling it yeah, down. Yeah, no, everyone. and I, I think uh, here's a good example, Paul, about the lunchroom. And Hutton and I were at an event that Clark Lee spoke to some uh, business people at, and he told this story about, you know, even going in to address the team while they're eating a meal, and having guys not stop eating and not make yeah, eye you contact. Told us about this. Right, like I, that, that's not how you address someone that you respect. Like turn around, face me. You know, we had some tough conversations, he said, early about when I'm talking to you, listen to me. Don't just continue eating and act like you're, you don't care. And he wants to implement that with how you deal with teammates also and showing respect. So that's a sign. It's not, you know, uh, here's where your fork goes, here's where your spoon goes, which, I mean, look, at Vandy, you're preparing people for high-priced jobs. Maybe that's a good etiquette class. Tim Corbin's teach. a hell of a coach, but you can't just be Tim Corbin on football. Well, here's the, the Tim Corbin – that never will hold water. I, I, what Tim Corbin does in baseball, Vandy's at an advantage in baseball with what they can do. They're an advantage over the rest of the SEC. They are Bama when it comes to that. You're never going to be in an advantage with Vandy football, so how do you work? Make it work. Right. Work in the, the cracks of what's out there and also selling what you are good at at Vanderbilt. Coming up, Trey Wallace continues our SEC and coaching discussion. Uh, he's with Outkick.com. We'll... Begin that in about five minutes. Looking forward to chatting and previewing Georgia and Alabama. First, though, Aurora NutriScience, VitaLifeScience.com is the website where you can see more information and how Outkick 360 season ticket holders like you receive a 15% discount with the code Outkick360 on any of their supplements. Typical pills and capsules are not well absorbed, but here's Aurora, unique cutting edge, nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use vitamin C, vitamin D3, and glutathione from Aurora NutriScience and VitalLifeScience.com. Single-use package. You grab and go in the mornings. They taste great. Aurora supplements also help you if you're a weekend warrior, if you take medication for high cholesterol, and much, much more. See for yourself. VitalLifeScience.com is the website. 15% 15% off with the code OUTKICK360, VitaLifeScience.com. Glad you're with us across the OutKick network and from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine. With Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. David Reed is the chairman of the board Jacob Swanson, Jonathan Moulton, making the show happen for us on this Thursday. Dylan Taylor, our great production assistant today. And we're joined by Trey Wallace of Outkick.com, SEC writer and columnist. Uh, has done excellent work throughout the course of the uh, first college football season 
at the site. Trey, hope you're doing well, man. It's been a busy week. Guys, it, it has. It feels like it hasn't stopped yet, and we haven't even got to the title game. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's <laughs> no sleep going on uh, around here, but we'll get through it, and uh, we'll get Selection Sunday going with bowl games and the college football playoff, and then we're off and running for another month, so I'm excited. Trey, we're going to have all this coaching news right now, some of it not involving the SEC, but I'm going to ask some of this from an SEC slant and perspective. One big hire, obviously, in the SEC at LSU with Brian Kelly. There's no arguing uh, his credentials and his winning wherever he's been uh, over the course of his career. But in terms of immediate impact, long-term impact at LSU, what do you think this does for the Tigers? You know, it was an interesting hire, Chad, in a sense of I really want to see what kind of offense he would be running in Baton Rouge. Like, you know, you you look at the defensive side of things and it sounds like, you know, Marcus Freeman's going to be staying at Notre Dame. Um, you look at Tommy Reese, who's going to be staying at Notre Dame. So he's going to have to bring in a whole new staff. And, and I'm interested to see what a Brian Kelly-type offense is going to be because we've just looked at his coordinators in the past and we've kind of seen what they've been able to run when it comes to running games or play action and whatnot. So I... You know, I, I, the it was kind of it's interesting. The hired LSU is interesting because I I don't know how much of a fit Brian Kelly is in the Southeastern Conference. We're about to find out real quick. Like you know, during his introductory press conference or whatever, he's taking questions. He starts promoting a Garth Brooks concert <laughs> held in the Tiger Stadium. It's like, okay, welcome to the SEC. Um, but and I'm sure Brian Kelly's a big Garth Brooks guy, by the way. Just <laughs> yeah, the right. Seems like a huge yeah. Garth. Rope in the Wind is that his favorite album? Yeah. That would be my follow up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, the chase, I guess it would be. No, it's look, man, it, it, it Brian Kelly, LSU, they're going to try to make this work any way they can in a sense of, you know, in videos they put out and press conferences and whatnot. I'm very interested to see how this thing goes behind the scenes and, and, and when we start getting some feedback from folks at LSU, just because, you know, the, the, the fit seemed a little bit different. Like, I, you know, I could have seen a, a Billy Napier at Louisiana. Um, I could have even seen a Lincoln Riley at Louisiana, but I think we've been so fixated with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame over the last number of years uh, that it's hard to really kind of put into digest that, that he's going to be at LSU. So we'll find out. It's, it's, it's interesting. Well, and the staff question you raised, Trey, is an interesting one because there's really, I, I think, two ways to go now that he's not going to bring his staff like most coaches would because they don't want to work with him anymore. They want to stay at Notre Dame. Uh, which says a lot about Brian Kelly, says a lot about Marcus Freeman also. But now the route is go with people that you have a past with somewhere that wasn't at Notre Dame. There's plenty of coaches that would love to go coach at LSU for Brian Kelly. That's not going to be a problem. But go with them or go with a group that you don't know, maybe you haven't worked with, that has ties to the SEC and ties to the South. I think it's going to tell us a lot about Brian Kelly which route he goes with that, or if it's sort of a, a mix of both with this staff? Well, it's got to be I, – I think you hit it at the end there, Chad. It's got to be a mix here because he's he's got to have SEC recruiters. Like we can't – we you know, Notre, LSU can't have – and it's not going to happen now, but I'm just saying um, a, a whole staff full of Notre Dame recruiters in a sense. And, and I mean that – I'm not talking about the OC or DC. I'm talking about the – other assistant coaches. It, it's going to be interesting to see how he plays this thing out from a standpoint of, okay, who do I go after for a defensive line coach or a secondary coach? Because also 
Those are such premier spots when it comes to recruiting in the Southeastern Conference that that kind of intrigues me the most because it feels like and it looks like he's going to have to go out of his comfort zone and find some coaches that he's not been with for the last, I don't know, seven to eight years. And and if that's the case, you go after the best and whoever has been in the Southeastern Conference in the past uh, for the recruiting tactics and how they can go about that point. Um, but then also on the field presence, because you you know this and I know this. You got to find three to four guys on your staff that you can have on field, but know that they're going to kill it on the recruiting trail. You can make up for the other ends with the other coaches, but you've got to have three to four guys you know you can count on. So that's what I'm interested in seeing what Brian Kelly does over the next week or so as he puts a staff together. So the last domino, at least until something goes down at Miami, is Oklahoma. Uh, we've speculated about Stoops just kind of coming back and taking over. Um, Brett Venables is, has been mentioned there. Uh, if you're picking, but what direction are you going? I, I would go Brett Venables. I, I think the time is right for Venables uh, to be to be a head coach. The Oklahoma job is, you know, it's tricky because you're going to be coming into the SEC here and and what they 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 say it's 25, but let's be honest, it's probably going to be two years until they enter the conference. So it's going to be quicker than that. So you have to prepare yourself for how you want to go. You're not hiring a Big 12 coach. You're hiring a Southeastern Conference coach, and, and I think that's the biggest thing that people have to remember when it comes to this. And is Brent Venables ready to coach in the Southeastern Conference? Um, I don't know. That's still kind of up in the air, and we'll, and we'll see. I, th- I think that's a name that really fits well. Uh, the Shane Beamer thing, I mean, if you want to go get a guy who's been in the Southeastern Conference for one year, that's fine uh, as, a, as a head coach, um, but I, I don't know how much traction there would be to that. Um, so I look at this thing. You know, with Bob Stoops, Paul, I <laughs> I bet he would love to coach in the Southeastern Conference. Like, I, I think he would. And he already has an assistant coach and whatnot. But I'm just saying overall, um, as, as a head coach, I don't know if they'll go down that road. I mean, he's making $350,000 to coach a bowl game. Uh, but would they go down that road for him to be the permanent head coach for – four to five years, get them in the conference and kind of be that bridge. I know. We're going to find out. But the Oklahoma job, you know, the problem is everybody's jumping off that ship. If you look at the commits that they've had, they're gone. Uh, you've got players that are leaving left and right. They've got to make a hire sometime within the next four to five days, and they got to narrow this down because they're losing too much right now when it comes to a program. Trey Wallace, excuse me, with us from Outkick.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore Trey, crystal ball this for me. What has to happen if Alabama loses for Alabama to still find a way into the college football playoff? Hmm. You would have to have Cincinnati lose. Um, and then you would also, I, I would say, have to have Michigan lose to Iowa. Uh, I think the perfect scenario would be Would Oklahoma Cincinnati. State need to Oklahoma lose State. also? Would you have to throw that well, in the mix? I mean, yeah. No, and I think so. I'll get into the Big 12. I think Oklahoma State would have to lose as well because it would drop them down, and I don't see Baylor making that jump into the top four. So it, it would more or less be – and it also depends on how they lose too. Like if Alabama gets beat by 14 points, it's a wrap. But if Alabama gets beat, let's say, by a field goal at the end of the game or something like that, um, then, then, okay, you could try to make an argument if Cincinnati loses – Michigan loses, Oklahoma State loses. Like we've seen chaos before on these final weekends. We've we've seen it. It's not uncommon. So it wouldn't surprise me to see 
you know, the, 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 the Cincinnati team get beat by Houston. Um, Iowa, I don't know how much of a chance they have against Michigan, but you look at that other game, too, in the Big 12 with Oklahoma State, um, I think that kind of flows in there, too. And, and then the crazy part would be, and y'all know this, is that these teams lose, and then Notre Dame somehow gets into the top four, and Brian Kelly's sitting in Baton Rouge right now yep. and doesn't have a chance to coach a college football playoff team. Like, it all just feels like everything would come together. And I, you know what? To be honest with you, I kind of hope it does come together like that. Um, so it, we'll see. Alabama would have a shot, but they can't lose by they can't lose by more than 10 points on Saturday. If they do, it's a wrap. Either way. Trey, I'm not going to be foolish enough to say this is a big-time passing of the torch game or that you know this is the beginning of the end for Nick Saban or, or anything like that because that's ridiculous. Anytime someone's questioned Nick Saban, all he does is come back and win national championships after that. But I will say, Georgia and Kirby Smart have started to win more recruiting battles against Alabama than not. If they're able to finally beat Alabama, if the, the pupil can beat the teacher and win the SEC and go on and win the national title this year, as they should, what does that say about the hierarchy currently of the SEC? Is Georgia now the, t- the team, the program that you aspire to be, that you look at, year in and year out for the foreseeable future and say, okay, now it's Georgia. Now Georgia is the top dog, pun intended, knowing Alabama's not going anywhere and they're still going to be in the conversation. But is this game that big for that program? I think Georgia would be – so I think Georgia would be like the the sexy Alabama that we saw six years ago where, you know, Alabama was the the, – and they still are, but Alabama was the the hot pick – nationwide and, and every recruit went to Alabama and it, and it was all about Saban and nobody was tired of hearing about it yet. And, and it was, you know, the, the, the pick that, okay, this team is good. They're unstoppable. They're recruiting now. They're getting on track to, to, to win numerous more. So I look at the way Georgia is now and I think to myself, this has to be the year for Georgia. They can't screw this up because if they screw this up, they've screwed up so many opportunities in the last three to four years with the talent that they've had to win a national championship that it has to be this year that they get it because they have too much talent on defense, too much on offense. And when you look at them going forward, Kirby Smart, he is a, he's a great coach. He's starting to take over on the recruiting trail like you mentioned, Chad. He is. You're starting to see it. You're starting to see guys that would usually commit to Alabama four or five years ago. They're committing to Georgia now. And I think when you take all of that in and everything that entitles this year with the playoff and winning the SEC championship, it's not taking over Alabama. It's going to be right there neck and neck, and Kirby's going to be the younger Nick Saban. That's how people would look at it in a sense. Um, so I, I, you know, this weekend entails a lot for Georgia and their future because they, here's the thing: they go out and they and they lay an egg and they lose to Alabama. Okay, well then all, uh oh, okay, there's a king in the armor here, and mm-hmm. now they got to go to the playoff, and you got to figure out how they play it through there because can they win a championship after getting that first dagger into the heart? You know, that's my biggest thing. How do they respond to a loss and having to play for four quarters? So. Overall, getting back to it, I, I think this is something where Kirby Smart has an opportunity he better not screw up, and, and that's how I look at it this year. Trey, Trey, if you are Ole Miss or Tennessee, can you truly rest easy until one of two things happens? Oklahoma hires their coach, and it's not Lane Kiffin or Josh Heupel. 
and or your school releases a statement saying that you've got a contract extension for your head coach for Lane Kiffin or Josh Heupel. You saw where Kentucky did that. They, yep. they got smart. Kentucky well, they, fans well, feel good about it now. They're, they're fine. Well, that's because Oklahoma decided they didn't want to deal with Mark Stoops, and Mark Stoops is like, okay, well, let's go ahead and get a contract signed and done with. I'm not going anywhere. That's not a shot to Mark Stoops. He's done a fantastic right. job at Kentucky. Um, Tennessee tried to do it the other day uh, with Josh Heupel. Tried to put out, you know, tried to. That was, I mean, we'll call it like we'll call it like it is. That was a setup interview for Josh Heupel to go on a radio show and to to say those words that that I'm coming back. Tennessee. He didn't really even say that. He said he loves it in Tennessee. But pretty much what it was is putting to bed any kind of rumors that he would be going to Oklahoma. But I agree with you. Until something's signed on the dotted line, and if Oklahoma, you know, if they don't make a hire in the next three to four days, I'm going to be scratching my head, and I'm going to be wondering, okay, who are you going after now that's fourth or fifth on your list? And, and you know, I can't say that Josh Hypa wouldn't. I know the history there, and it's pretty bad. Um, you know, I, I would be very, very surprised. But I agree with you, Lane Kiffin included. You know, we keep seeing reports. Manny Diaz is going to stay out. You know, stay at stay in Miami. Stay in Miami. Well, okay. Until that's done, Ole Miss fans don't need to rest because that is a job Lane Kiffin would take, in my opinion, in a heartbeat, and that would be Miami. So we're gonna. Have, it's going to be an interesting five days. You know, I think you'll see contract extensions try to be floated out there, but. You know, there's there's jobs that are opening up and, and maybe one left in Miami. We'll see. We know Alabama's got talent on the offensive line. What's what's the reason that they've allowed, I think it's 35 sacks, third most in the SEC, while Georgia's allowed eight? And and uh, that seems to be their Achilles heel is, is allowing pass pressure. I think with Georgia, the way we're going to look at it this weekend is, is their ability to get off the line like Auburn did last weekend. Bryce Young likes to scramble outside the pocket in certain times where he really doesn't need to. And he puts himself in situations where he's going to get sacked. I mean, I, I rewatched the Auburn game the other night, just, just offensive clips from Alabama. And, and look, the, the, the Alabama offensive line was not protecting extremely well, but it wasn't like Bryce Young needed to scramble every three plays outside the pocket and force an Auburn defender to come up and get him. Um, I look at the same thing this weekend with Georgia. Like, look, on Saturday, Jordan Davis and those guys, if they're going to be bringing up the linebacker spot along that defensive line, even if they roll with a three-man front, they're going to be putting pressure on Bryce Young, and they're going to force him into mistakes. You go back and look at the interception that Bryce Young threw against Auburn. It was all about being forced into that situation by by an Auburn defender. I promise you, George is looking at the same thing this weekend, and, and, and they're going to put their tails back, and they're going to go after the quarterback and make him uncomfortable, and they're going to try to gap fill when it comes to the, the running game. And if they can do that, it's going to be a long day for them. It, it really will. And then, you know, Paul, you, you flip it on to the other side with Stetson Bennett, and, and look, Will Anderson's going to get after the quarterback. Like, I promise you, he's going to hit Stetson Bennett two or three times, maybe four times on Saturday. But with with – in, in my opinion, with Georgia, the way they were able to to get off the play action is, is key to me because they can run the ball with Zamir White or they can go, get Cook involved. If Kendall Milton returns this weekend, like I honestly feel like Georgia would have a three-headed monster back there, even with McIntosh running back. So you look at this all together, I think Georgia has a better opportunity of keeping their quarterback upright that's just because Bryce Young loves to scramble outside the pocket. And when he does, 
they're going to have a spy on him. It's going to be real easy. They're going to spy him, and I think Georgia defenders are faster than Auburn. Trey Wallace has been our guest. Trey, thank you as always. Will we see you in Atlanta? You'll be there? I, that is the plan. Good. Yeah, that awesome. is the plan to see you guys in Atlanta. So we'll awesome. uh, we'll make it happen, and you guys have safe travels down there. Absolutely. Same uh, to thank you, Trey. Trey. Appreciate you, Thanks. man. Take care. Trey Wallace has been our guest. Outkick.com, the website for all of the SEC news and reaction and previews for the SEC championship game with Alabama and Georgia. Speaking of previews, when we come back, at least one big thing on every NFL game for Week 13 next on Outkick 360. In Week 13, already, December is here. Outkick 360 rolls on. Uh, let, let's start with, with tonight's game. Cowboys at the Saints. Uh, Taysom Hill makes his fifth career start at quarterback. Eight touchdowns in his previous four starts, four passing and four rushing. The last time New Orleans lost five consecutive games was prior to the Drew Brees era in New Orleans. They've lost four straight. They're trying to avoid the five-game skid, and that's the longest drought currently losing skid in the NFL. Ezekiel Elliott, he's been slowed by a knee injury, and it, it shows uh, since the bye week, his rushing production in Dallas over that five-game stretch, 60, 51, 41, 32, and then 25 yards on Thanksgiving Day. Go heavy Tony Pollard in this game. Then you got a mini-bye. And Taysom Hill, I just I, we've discussed this. I, I just don't get it. I think they lose their fifth. Now for Sunday's games across the league. Week 13 is here. Cardinals at Bears. They played, uh, let's see, Arizona played their last three games, three games, without Kyler Murray or DeAndre Hopkins, and they won two of those games. That's yeah. how good Arizona is. Uh, they, they are 9-2, and two, the best record in the NFL. Meanwhile, Chicago, Andy Dalton passed for 300 yards last week, uh, and Rick Goslin pointed this out, a great stat. The NFL... There's one team now without a 300-yard passer in a single game. The New Orleans Saints, going back to uh, this past Thursday night game. They're coming off their bye, right? Um, yes, they are. Yeah. They, Vikings, they, they and, Vikings and Lions, the five and six Vikings, lead the NFL. They lead the NFL in sacks, 33 sacks. They have had at least two sacks in every game of the regular season so far. They're facing the Lions where Khalif Raymond – Tell me um, why this is significant, guys. He returned a punt last week for 48 yards. Why is that significant for Khalif Raymond? Well, it's longer than anything the Titans have done where he was... 48-yard punt go. return. It doubles his all-time career special teams yardage <laughs> in one punt return? That is the longest punt return of the regular season by any player currently. Wow. 48 yards. Congrats to Khalif Raymond. Khalif Raymond. Good job, Khalif. Special teams but, are just... Uh, yeah. They're trending in a way you could get rid of them. Chargers <laughs> and Bengals, a great game. Love. Uh, this is my game. Of really the week. solid matchup. Cincinnati's Joe Mixon rushed for 165 yards and two touchdowns last week. He has two touchdowns in four consecutive games, either rushing or passing combined. Two touchdowns in four consecutive games. That does not happen often. The last player to do it is Steven Jackson. Whoa. Uh, at running back, I'm, I'm speaking of. Steven Jackson in 2006 is the last player that did that from that position. Uh, LA, speaking of running backs, uh, Austin uh, Eckler, he surpassed 5,000 scrimmage yards for his career, and he is just the third player 
to do that in the common draft era. I'm looking at the numbers here. Arian Foster and Willie Parker did that of undrafted, undrafted. players. Remarkable That's a trio career. there of undrafted studs. Colts and Texans. Terod Taylor, the last two games since he's been back from injury, he passed for 107 yards against Tennessee. And then last week, he passed for 158 yards against the Jets. They are abysmal. That game should be entirely uninteresting. And because of that number, I looked up Carson Wentz's passing numbers. And he's, he's receiving a lot of heat. Um, he's, he's putting uh, up yards. 21, not just yards. He's passed for 21 touchdowns and only five interceptions. Carson Wentz and Indy all season. That's, that's really good. Giants and Dolphins, Miami wide receiver Jalen Waddell. He paces the Dolphins in receptions and receiving yards. Jalen Phillips on the defensive end leads their team in sacks. Of course, both rookies. Now look at the Giants. Rookie linebacker, Chad's guy, Aziz Ojolari, leads the team in sacks. And Leonard, all right, he's tied in, in uh, the team lead for sacks. Leonard Williams also with five and a half sacks. But this is a battle where both teams are in what seems to be rebuild mode, but Miami's actually on a winning streak. Miami's going to win its fifth game in a row, and then they have the Jets the week after that, and then they have the Saints the week after that. Miami's playing well. Vegas hosting Washington. Washington's also playing well. They've won three straight games this season. They are currently in the seventh spot of the NFL playoffs. Vegas also back to their winning ways. Interesting matchup because Vegas had the long rest uh, on the Thanksgiving Day game. Meanwhile, Washington played on Monday night, and now they have to travel to the West Coast on a short week. We uh, talked about potential open jobs yesterday. Forgot to mention Rich Bisaccia. Um, I would think they're going to be looking. Ravens and Steelers in a battle of the AFC North. Baltimore 4-1 and one this season in games decided on a possession that came down to two minutes or less or in overtime. They are 4-1. and one. Now, Com- compare that to Minnesota, going back to the Vikings. The Vikings are terrible in that category. Baltimore has been very fortunate. Buccaneers and Falcons. The Falcons have not allowed a 100-yard rusher in 28 straight games. This is significant because the last running back to do it was Ronald Jones of Tampa. That's who they host this Sunday at the Dome. Shows you it doesn't mean that much because they haven't been winning a lot of those games. It yeah. just means less. It, just, of means it just means more. Eagles and the Jets. Philly has beaten New York 11 straight times. That's second only to New England in consecutive wins over the New York Jets. Corey Davis, meanwhile, played Philadelphia one time in his career, and he went off when he played for the Titans. Nine catches, 161 yards, and a touchdown in that game back in 2018. He's been very good at home for the Jets this year. I would play him in fantasy if you've got him. And maybe go to FanDuel.com for the touchdown reception for, for Corey Davis. 49ers and Seahawks, Elijah Mitchell. Uh, he's the running back that you don't know, but you should uh, in this game. Watch for him in San Francisco. Jags and Rams. The Rams have lost three straight. They're now three games behind the Arizona Cardinals because the Cardinals hold the tiebreaker over them in the division for back-to-back wins. Broncos and Chiefs, Sunday night football. Denver's defense allows 17 points per game. Kansas City leads the NFL with 22 turnovers, and this game is for first place in the AFC West. The winner will be at least tied for first. That would be if Denver won the game. And then Monday Night Football, Patriots and Bills. Cannot wait for this matchup. It's the two two, two of the league's top defenses, 
and it's the weather to back it up. 80% chance of snow. Please, this no. game's going to be in the 20s on Monday night in Buffalo. It's going to be an, a, a great atmosphere. Uh, and New England and Buffalo both rank among the NFL leaders in takeaways in this game. Josh Allen against Mac Jones, the rookie, who's been good at protecting the football. He's got to do it again against the biggest test, which is Buffalo's defense. I would think those two teams split. They play twice in a month here, but it, this one's home for Buffalo. Buffalo's got to prove something now. No doubt. I and can't wait for that Monday Night Football that's game. Be New that's, England that's goes into their bye the after the win, and again, they've got Buffalo twice, and Bills have the New England twice over the next three weeks. Headlines when we return on OutKick 360. Hang with us.